Amen. Thank you so much. Let me invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Luke in chapter number five. The book of Luke in chapter number five, and I'd like to begin reading this morning from Luke chapter five and verse number five. What a privilege to be here this morning. What a great job was done. And, and uh, more than a, a great job, a, a, a well done performance was the message that uh, was right in front of our eyes this morning from thousands of years ago where Moses had a choice to make. And one day Moses standing at the crossroads is going to make the single most important decision that he will ever make in his life. One day a man in the state of Florida stood at a crossroads and made the most important choice that he would make, a choice that would run the rest of his life. And you know this morning perhaps somebody in this building has come much to the same place in your life. For those of you juniors and seniors in high school, and, and God's brought you here for a few days to get a taste of West Coast Baptist College, and what a tremendous opportunity, how we how heartily uh, recommend the school, and that God has brought you here with, a, with just maybe even a glimpse of what God might choose to do with your life. And yet over the next year, over the next two years, you stand at the crossroads. You stand at a crossroads to make the most important choices you'll make. You know, we can look back over our lives Lives and, and most people, and certainly not always, but, but most people from the ages of 18 to 22 to 24, they're going to make the most critical choices they'll make in their life. They're going to make life choices that are going to set the direction that will affect every single day for the rest of your, their lives. You know, in the history of the world, there has never been one person who comes to the end of their life and said, I made the choice to live for the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. There's never been one person who made that choice who comes to the end of the race and says, I regret that choice. If I could go back and do it again, I would make very different life choices. But you know, there's a lot of people that said, me first, what I want, where I want, how I want. A lot of people who said, for me to live as pleasure, for me to live as wealth, for me to live as the toys of the world, for me to live as, as to fulfill my own dreams and my own desires. And you know, a pastor like Pastor Chapel couldn't tell you how many times over the years he's visited people at their, on their deathbed, people sucking their last breath, about ready to slip into eternity. This is, you know, preacher, if I could go back to that day at camp, if I could go back to those college days at a place like West Coast Baptist College, if I could just go back in time and have one chance to do it again, I would make a very different choice. You know, I'm not a golfer. I'm not a good enough Christian to be a golfer. But I understand the golfers have what they call a mulligan. And if you have a shot you don't like, well, you call a mulligan and you do it again. My friends, there may be mulligans on the golf course, but there are no mulligans when it comes to life. You and I have one opportunity. And as a man who had a professional sports career in front of him, he was the idol of young people all across England. One day he put his life on the line and said, enough of me, my life for the will of God. C.T. Studd wound up in Africa, and he's the one who said, only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will 
last. What a great example we've had here this morning on this stage uh, of Moses in the Old Testament, of a man in our era, in our day, that made the same choice. Well, right along with that, would you go with me this morning to Luke chapter 5, and I want you to see another individual that comes to the crossroads of his life. It is time for Peter to make a choice that is going to affect every single day of the rest of his life. Oh, it was a few months earlier that his brother Andrew, Andrew the soul winner, got a hold of Peter and said, we have found the Messiah, which being interpreted is the Christ. From the fishing village on the northern shores of Galilee, a place called Bethsaida, why Andrew brings his brother Peter across the Jordan River into what we know as the country of Jordan, maybe 20 miles away, and, and that's where Peter met the Savior. Why, that's where Peter met the Son of God, the Christ, the living God. And that's when Peter bows his knee to Jesus. It's a glorious thing to have a salvation testimony. Well, Peter goes back home to Bethsaida and, and back to the fishing business. And, and what you'll see with me this morning in a few moments is that, that Peter didn't just have a fishing business. He had a very lucrative fishing business. I mean, for Peter, he had it. Ah, Peter was an extremely successful man. And yet now, by the shores of Galilee, and it won't take very long, the Lord Jesus comes to Peter. He's got a choice to make. If you're able physically, could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to Luke chapter number 5 and verse number 5. And Simon, the old name for Peter now, Simon answering said unto him, unto Jesus, Master, notice, Master, we have toiled all the night. Go down, if you would, to verse number 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It is the morning when Jesus goes from being Peter's master to being his Lord. Father, we ask for your help now as we open the mighty word of God. And would you speak to men, the ladies in this room here today? Lord, I'm burdened for men, for ladies that stand at the crossroads of life with critical choices to make. Or perhaps a high school student here today, perhaps a Bible college student here today, and looking at a future with choices to make. May this be the day that you do a mighty work in their hearts and in their lives. We come boldly in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. In verse number one, the Bible tells us it came to pass as the people pressed upon him uh, to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake Gennesaret. Gennesaret, sometimes it's called the Sea of Galilee, the Sea Tiberias. That morning, the crowds are pressing. I, I find the multitudes to be one of the most interesting studies in the book of Luke. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, I discover that when Jesus is giving out free meals and when there are free miracles and free messages, there's a big crowd. But you know, one day the miracles stop and the messages stop. And one day why the meals are stopping. And, and when it all happens, it all comes to an end. The crowd gets so small that Jesus looks at his disciples and said, will you also go away? 
I find this morning, as long as there's something in it for me, as long as there's some pleasure for me, as long as there's financial gain for me, it's called the prosperity gospel. Oh, there are a lot of people, they'll pile in by the thousands to hear such a message. But by the Sea of Galilee, though the multitudes are pushing on each other, and another verse, they're tripping over each other. Everybody wants to gather by the shores of Galilee to hear the Son of God. I find that Jesus is more interested in three men than the multitude. Well, I love the way it goes in verse number one. The multitudes have come to hear the word of God. Is there ever a double meaning in that statement? Well, now we understand as they come to the shore of Galilee and, and the slope of the land makes a perfect outdoor auditorium. I've heard that a human voice can carry six times better over the water. So while Jesus doesn't have the benefit of a, of a great PA system like we have here this morning, it was his water and his lake that he had created. It was was his outdoor amphitheater and, and it was just perfect for Jesus to deliver his message. And so as the Lord Jesus gathers that day by the Sea of Galilee, they have come to hear the word of God. Of course, every time Jesus speaks, he is speaking the word of God. But you know, the double meaning is that not only does he speak the word of God, he is the word of God. They are coming to hear the Word of God from the Word of God. And the Lord Jesus delivers His message. In verse number 2, He saw two ships standing by the lake, and the fishermen were going out of them. And notice, they're washing their nets. So we get our first clue as to Peter's fishing business. Uh, this isn't the story of somebody who stopped by Walmart on the way to the lake, picked up a couple of nets and a fishing pole. Uh, we are talking about somebody who has a professional system of nets. It would require two rather large boats and they would make their way through the waters of Galilee. The system of nets, there were three of them. One net was held on the top of the water by buoys. Another net was held below the water by weights. And then there would be a third net that would connect those. And as the ships would make their way through the water, ah, they would catch a lot of debris, they would catch a lot of seaweed, they would catch a, a lot of garbage, and hopefully they would catch a lot of fish. But I'm afraid this night the professional fishermen have gone all night and they haven't caught a thing. So in verse number three, the Bible tells us he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. Ever the gentleman, you know, the Lord Jesus could say, Peter, this happens to be my lake, and the wood that made those boats happens to be my wood. The grass where everybody is sitting happens to be my grass. And, and certainly if anyone ever could have commandeered those ships, the Lord Jesus had every right. But ever the gentleman, the Lord Jesus prayed him, Peter, would you help me out here? Would you let, do me a favor? Would you allow me to use your boats as I move away from the shore and, and address the crowd? And you know, we all understand about returning favors, but as important as that is to you and to me in America, uh, it's 10,000 times more important in the Middle East. I mean, you are honor bound to return a favor. And so I suppose as we come to Luke chapter 5, Peter recognizes I need to return the favor. After all, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had done a great favor for Peter. He healed his mother-in-law. I don't know. Then again, maybe he didn't. <laughs> maybe I, depends what kind of mother-in-law you have, I suppose. But 
But no, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law, so now Peter has to return the favor. And of course, you're my Savior. You wash my sins away. You're the one that rescued me from hell. Why, you want to use my boats? The boats are yours. So he thrusts him out a little bit from the land. And in verse number three, he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So it's the perfect scenario. I Perhaps there's some waves, and maybe Peter's got to stay there and settle the boat as, as Jesus sits down in the middle of the boat and he begins to speak and to teach and preach to the multitudes that are in front of him. And it all works so well. It's the perfect scenario until in verse number four, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. What we cannot hear or see reading that verse are the groans of the fishermen when Jesus said that. I mean, do you know what an unlikely thing this is? What an impossible scenario. The Lord Jesus says, thank you, Peter. I appreciate the assistance this morning. So what I want you to do is take those boats off the docks, those nets that you have been cleaning, those long, huge nets. I want you to attach them again. And, and not here and not there. I want you to go out into the deep waters of the Sea of Galilee and I want you to launch out into the deep. And what you and I cannot possibly appreciate is what the professional fishermen that work for Peter must have thought. I mean, they are looking at each other saying, this is the last thing we want to do this morning. Everybody knows there are no fish to catch out there. This is the reason that we fish all night. This is the reason we work all night and sleep all day. There are no fish to catch. Everybody knows, if anything, the fish come where the springs make their way down the mountain near the shore. There was nothing to catch out there. And you know, to make matters a little worse, it wasn't just Jesus. It was Jesus of Nazareth saying this. I mean, I believe there's a correct word for this. The word is landlubber. You know, these professional fishermen that live on the Sea of Galilee, all of a sudden this landlubber, all of a sudden this Jesus from the hill country of Nazareth is going to try to tell them how to do their job. Do you know what this would be like? This would be like somebody from the hills of Tennessee or North Carolina. I don't mean Charlotte. You know, I don't mean Nashville. I mean somebody from the hills, some real country boy, showing up in a place like a seacoast village in Maine and telling those lobstermen from Maine how to do their job. I got to tell you, the, I, the guys in Maine aren't going to listen to some hillbilly from Tennessee. And these professional crusty fishermen from the city of Bethsaida, the last thing they want is somebody from Nazareth telling them how they're supposed to do their job. This Jesus of Nazareth launch out into the deep, and you kind of appreciate Peter's position here in verse number five because he really is between the rock and the hard place. On one side, here is his Savior, the Lord Jesus, saying, Peter, launch out into the deep. What we can't see are the glares of the fishing business partners, and they are staring holes through Peter. And the last thing we want, we had a bad night, we had a long night. The last thing we want to do is turn around and go out into the deep waters now. And Peter's kind of juggling these two things in verse number five. And he said unto him, Master, Master. 
The word master means you are higher rank than I am. The word master is means you are more important than me. The word master is saying you're above me. Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. I wonder what that sounded like. You know, we can read it and we can't hear it. But here are the fishermen staring daggers through Peter. Here is the Lord Jesus smiling and saying, thank you, Peter. Launch out into the deep. And you know, Peter's between the two. And Peter and I wonder if he didn't lay under those words. Master, you're the master. You're higher than me. We have toiled all night and we haven't caught a thing. But at thy word, not my word. Hey, don't blame me when this doesn't work. At thy word, we will let down the nets. And now the Bible tells us that at the word of the Lord Jesus, they're going to launch out into the deeps. And for all the crumbling and all the complaining, in verse number 8, the Bible says, I'm sorry, verse 6, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. I mean, the catch was so great. I love the fact they're doing sign language here. You know, they just got the spot. Do you realize what just happened? They just hit the jackpot. I mean, Peter has just gone out to the right spot on the Sea of Galilee, and these guys who fish all night have discovered that during the daytime, there is a place to catch your fish. They have hit the jackpot, and they're not going to hey, I guess they're not going to let everybody else know, so they start doing some heavy-duty sign language to their uh, business partners. We have found the spot. We have hit the place. You realize what this means? This means that Peter's going to be the number one fisherman on the Sea of Galilee for a long, long time. I mean, if you had stock in the Peter fishing business, it just quadrupled in one minute. I mean, all of a sudden, Peter's got the spot. He knows the jackpot. He knows where to go. This isn't just, I'm going to make a killing today. I'm going to make a killing tomorrow and a killing next week. And not only that, but I'm going to make a killing that means I don't have to stay up all night fishing for fish. It is an incredible moment for a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. They never had a day like this. If they did, they would have had bigger nets. They never had a catch like this. If they did, they would have had different fish. They came and filled both the ships. They began to sink. And in verse number 8, Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. One minute, Peter says, Jesus, you are the master of my life. I recognize you. You are a great teacher. You are someone who is over me. You are of higher rank than I am. But now he is on his knees saying, Lord, it is not just that you are the master. It is not just that you are great. It is not just that you are more powerful than me. But now he bows his knee and he says, you are my Lord. The title Lord is more respectful than master. The title Lord is Peter making a choice in his life. You know, sometimes in the New Testament, the word Lord could mean like we use the word sir. It's a word of great respect. But there are other occasions where the word Lord is saying, you are now the ruler of my life. I am shoving myself off the throne room of my heart. I am putting you, establishing you as the king of my life. So which one is it? Is Peter being respectful to Jesus or is Peter saying from this moment on. I am removing myself from the authority of my life. You are now the one who is the Lord and King over me. And there is a clue, isn't there? Because in verse number 8, the Bible tells us that a Jewish man fell down at Jesus' knees.
for a Jewish man to bow their knee to anyone or to anything other than the living God of heaven. Peter was not simply saying, I have great respect for you. Peter was not simply saying, I have great honor for you. But Peter was saying, you are now the one who rules my life. From this moment forward, I am making a choice. You are the one who is the king. You are the one who sits upon the throne. You are the one who gets to run every day of the rest of my life. It is the moment in time that we're Peter will never be the same. He has a choice to make. And Peter says, I don't want just a master. I want Jesus to be the Lord, the ruler of my life. So what exactly does that mean? You know, one thing I love about my Savior is that he, he, he was never, when it comes to subjects like this, you know, he was never unclear as to what he meant. You didn't have to walk away scratching your head thinking, you know, what did he really say? And what did he really mean? I tell you, it's kind of like the end of the play when they three stood up here. You didn't have to wonder what the point was. And that's the way it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to the Bible, if you want Jesus to be the Lord and the ruler and the king of your life, if you want Jesus to be the one you bow your knee before and you say you have the reins of my life it means something and for Simon Peter there were some choices he had to make that day some very clear-cut choices they're easy to see they're easy to read they're easy to understand but they're incredibly hard to do and this morning in a room like this, if there's that one man, if there's that one lady, if there's that one college student, maybe that one high school student who is in this building today, and like Moses at the crossroads, like Charlie at the crossroads, you come to that place in your life with choices to make. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to invest my life in? I've got to make some choices, critical life choices. What are they going to be? If you choose to put Jesus upon the throne of your life, there are four choices you have to make. Peter makes them that day. Could I show them to you? Choice number one, Peter said, I will live according to thy word. In verse number five, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Peter, how are you going to live your life from this day forward? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. There is no human reason for me to make this choice. There is no rational, logical decision that I can see that we to turn these boats around and sail out into the sea and let down the nets. But I will do it according to the word of God. I, Moses, could say there's no rational reason why I should turn my back on the pleasures of sin for a season. There's no rational reason that I should turn my back on the comforts of Egypt. I, a man, could well say, I've got it made. I've got a business life in front of me. There is no rational, logical decision that I should turn my back on it all to go work at a camp in the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And this morning you sit in this place, your friends will give you a lot of reasons why you should live for you first. I, the world, will give you a lot of reasons. I sat in a public school and listened to an unsaved guidance counselor. Give me all the reasons in the world why you don't want to go to a Bible college. You're not going to make money if you invest your life in that. This world will give you reason after reason after reason why you can live for you, why you can live for treasure, why you can live for stuff, why you can live for pleasures of sin. 
I, the world's got a boatload of reasons. But if you're going to live for the will of God, it means you live your life according to the Bible. At thy word, from here on out, Peter says, I'll be a student of thy word. From here on out, I'll hide that word in my heart so that I won't sin against thee. From here on out, it is what the Bible says. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When you and I choose to put Jesus on the throne of our lives, when we put Jesus where he rightfully belongs, it means, number one, we live according to his word. But notice there's choice number two. Peter says, I will live according to the Bible. But then he said, Jesus is more. Jesus is more than earthly treasure. Do you see it in verse number 6? When they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. In verse number 9, he was astonished. You know, I, I just go out on the limb and, and for a crusty old fisherman from Bethsaida to become astonished, that had to be something. You know, these kind of people, these kind of men, they're not shocked at too many things. But no, the Bible says he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. Do you catch this? You know, the Lord didn't bankrupt Peter and say, Peter, you have nothing now. I'll take your business away. I'll take your health away. I'll put you on your back. The Lord Jesus didn't bring Peter to the lowest spot in his life where Peter had nowhere to go and nowhere to turn and say, okay, Peter, I've twisted your arm far enough behind you. So now, Peter, what are you going to do with your life? That is not what Jesus did. The Lord Jesus gave Peter the greatest business day in his life. Peter, you can be the number one fisherman on the Sea of Galilee for the rest of your life, or you can live for me, but you can't do both. Ladies and gentlemen, in other words, Jesus is not making this easy. Jesus is not bankrupting him. Jesus doesn't make him broke. Jesus doesn't leave him with another choice. Peter is going to have to decide to live for Christ, to live for the will of God. He is going to decide to put Jesus on the throne of his life, knowing that if he does, it is going to cost him everything. Is there somebody like that here this morning? This is perfectly displayed on, on this platform a few minutes ago. On one side, here's the best scholarship the world can give you. And on the other side, here's the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. On one side, here's the pleasures of sin. All your friends, everybody says this is the direction to go. On the other side, here's the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And the Lord's never going to put the paint job on it. The Lord's never going to shine it up. And the Lord most likely is going to take you and throw you into the corner where there's nowhere else to go. No no, you're going to have to make a choice. Do I want the world or do I want him? Do I want the mammon or do I want him? Do I want the stuff of the world or do I want him? It is one or the other, but you cannot have it both ways. And the Lord Jesus in the greatest day of his life brings Peter to this choice. In the early 1930s, America and the world was in the throes of the Great Depression. Uh, the poverty, you know, we think it's tough out there right now. But we have no idea, do we? We have no idea. And America and the world was just literally starving and, and panicking and scraping for any kind of food. And, and right in the middle of the Great Depression, a man, a young man was sitting at the executive offices of a recording studio. And a man across the table had a contract. This young man, he had a golden voice. 
And all he had to do was pick up a pen and sign that contract. And in the middle of the Depression, he would be an incredibly wealthy man. He looked at the contract and realizing, you know, my family's suffering, everybody is suffering. Boy, that, that kind of money sounds awfully good. And, and he looked at it and something on the inside says, you can't sign that right now. And, and he told the gentleman from the recording company, he said, I, I need the weekend to think about that. And, and he said, certainly, you take the time you need. And, and he walked out of that office thinking, that piece of paper, all I got to do is sign it and sing the music. And I can be a wealthy man. He had told the president of the company, you know, I'm a Christian, and, and, and I know you're going to tell me what to sing, but I need to sing Christian music too. And, and he had pretty much laughed at that and said, I'm sorry, that's not the market here. If you sign that paper, you get to sing what we tell you to sing. But on the other side, you'll be incredibly rich. That weekend, he went home to Canada, Ottawa, Canada. There his family lived, and, and he had a mother. You know, one of those wise mothers. Good moms know there's a time to put their finger in the face of their son and really let him have it. And then there's times where you back away. She knew this was a choice he had to make. So mom never said a word, but she did write the words of a little poem. And she left that poem next to the piano because he, she knew that whenever her boy came home for the weekend, uh, give it a little bit of time and he'd wind up at the piano. He loved to play. He had loved to sing. He had a voice like nobody else. And sure enough, after he met with some friends and did what you do when you come home for the weekend, he, he made his way to the piano and he started to play, he started to sing. And, and then he said he picked up that piece of paper and he read the words. He was to say later in his life he never was able to do this again, but he said right there, sitting by the piano, ten minutes later, not only did he have a tune that perfectly matched those words, but far more importantly, he made a choice, a choice that would affect every day of the rest of his life. He went back to the recording company and he told the executive, thank you, but no thank you. I, I know that God gave me my voice. My voice is not to sing songs that exalt the world, to sing songs that people want to hear. My voice is to exalt him. And he walked out of that ex company right out into the streets of New York in the throes in the middle of a Great Depression, thinking, what do I do now? And you know, he probably thought, well, nobody will ever hear of me. And if he thought that, that would have been a big mistake. That young man's name, well, you've probably heard his name, George Beverly Shea. And the music that he wrote that day to the poem that his mother wrote, well, you've heard these words too. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. And I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. When Jesus sits upon the throne of my life, it means I'd rather have Jesus than silver, than gold, than mammon, than stuff. I can live for the world's toys or I can live for him. I can live for wealth or I can live for him. I can live for things or I can live for him, but I can't do both. And when Peter stands there that day and then he falls on his knees, he says, you are no longer just a master. You are no longer just a great teacher, but you are now the king, the ruler. You are the Lord of my life. He is saying, I'd rather have Jesus than all the treasures of the world. 
And from this point on, I am going to live my life according to thy word. Would you notice number three? This choice means we see our unworthiness. In verse number 8, Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord, exactly, exactly. And you know, Peter doesn't stand up and say, Okay, Lord, we cut a little arrangement here, and, and we entered into a little negotiation here, and, and Lord, you're lucky to have somebody like me. You know, the people in this room at West Coast Baptist College that one day stood at a camp, that one day went a revival meeting, that, that one day reading the Bible on their own fell on their knees and said, my life for the will of God. They'll tell you, every one of the faculty and staff, every, everybody serving the Lord, who instead of saying, I want what this world's got, I'm going to invest my life in, in the will of God. Everyone who's done that will tell you, there are many a times where you just shake your head and say, Lord, you got the wrong guy when you got me. Lord, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. Like Isaiah fell down on his face and said, woe is me, and I am undone. That's Peter's version of that. And he could only say, depart from me. Lord, you're going to have to find somebody else. You know this old fisherman. Lord, you know what a big mouth I have. Lord, you know how impetuous I am. Lord, you know how I'm always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Lord, you know I'm just some old crusty fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. And, and Lord, I don't know what you can do with such a broken mess like me a broken mess like me you know as long as we're going to walk around thinking we have something to offer the Lord we can't serve him and Peter was going to find himself in a whole lot of trouble one day when he explained to the Lord uh, Lord so everything's good here I've got this I am ready and within a few hours he would be denying Jesus vociferously I am ready. You know, it's when Peter finally figured out he wasn't ready that he was ready. And it's when you and I bow our heads and say, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Or if you can use somebody like this, who am I to say no? And it's when Isaiah was a broken man. And Isaiah said, listen to me, talk. Look at my life. Look at how dirty. Look at the people I live with. I am such a disaster. Why would God ever use me? And the next thing he heard was the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I'm looking forward to watching that DVD when we get to heaven. You think? I want to see the face of... Okay, in heaven it's not in a DVD. It's in the cloud. I get that. But, but I'm looking forward to seeing in this. I want to see the face of Isaiah. And the Lord said, who? Who will I send? Who will go for us? And he's looking around, you know, looking around kind of like Moses, you think? Looking around, who's he talking to? Who could the Lord? And all of a sudden it dawns on Moses. All of a sudden it dawns on Isaiah. You, you mean me? You mean me? You mean the I am that I am? You want to use me? And, and I kind of get the idea that Isaiah's, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Here am I, right here. You don't need to go anywhere else. Lord, if you are willing to use somebody so low, so small, so untalented, so weak as me, who am I to say no? For Peter to make Jesus the Lord of his life, oh, he had a Savior, and I guess we say he has a Master. But for Jesus to take over Peter's life, number one, I live according to his will. Number two, I want him more than all earthly treasures. Number three, I realize how unworthy I am. And then number four, he simply says yes to the will of God. In verse number 10, so was also James and John. That's why I get the idea that morning. Oh, there was a great multitude and they were pressing on each other. 
but the Lord Jesus was looking at three. This morning, there's a great multitude here. But could it be that the Lord is looking just for you, just for you, just for you, that the Lord's looking into this auditorium, a multitude of men and ladies with a life in front of them, and for all the other priorities and all the other wishes and, and all the other things that are more important. Could it be that he is touching you this morning? And for Peter, James, and John, the Bible tells us they were the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. A little earlier, there was a word that said Peter beckoned to his business partners. This is a different thing. These are fellowship partners. Business partners, they'll laugh their way to the bank with you. Fellowship partners will go to death with you. And the Bible tells us they said they were partners with Simon. And look at the words. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. You know what this means? That when Peter installs Jesus Christ on the throne of his heart, when G. Peter says, You are not just my master, we've already taken care of the fact that you are my Savior, now you are the Lord and the King of my life. He is saying yes to the will of God. From this moment onward, Jesus gets to run every day of Peter's life. You see now when Jesus begins to preach on discipleship, <laughs> the meals, the miracles, we're not doing that now. The crowd gets smaller and smaller. Because when Jesus is on the throne of my life, he gets to tell me what to do. Tomorrow I do what he wants me to do. Peter's going to wake up the next day and every day for the rest of his life, whatever you want me to do, my life for the will of God, until one day they're going to crucify Peter. And as the history goes, he requests to be crucified upside down. And Peter, until the day that he dies, every day Jesus gets to run his life. Are you willing to do that? Do you see why the crowd begins to filter out? There are not many people in our world our world with all its light and all its allure, our world that's flashing those signals, you can be rich, uh, you can have all your dreams, uh, you can have more pleasure, you can have more fun, uh, you can have your sin and eat it too, you can have everything. And for all the allure and all the attractions, all that the Bible can offer us is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now that may take somebody in this building to some distant mission field one day. That may take a, a, a lady here, the most amazing people I've met in my life were people that were living in places of abject poverty, people that were living out in some little village in Africa, in Papua New Guinea, pick your place, and, and I shake my head in amazement and, and why you could talk about what it looks like and you could talk about what it feels like, but what you never, ever could do is talk about what it smells like. And these people are living their lives. And they're the happiest people I've ever met. Everything you're not supposed to do to be happy, they have done. And now here they've lived their lives for the will of God, and they wouldn't trade it for anything. And when somebody says, my life for the will of God, there's no telling where that's going to take you. There's no telling what tomorrow's going to bring. Uh, there's no telling for a guy sitting at a, uh, with a pastor. There's no telling for a Moses in front of a burning bush. There is no telling. There's no understanding what happens when you give your life to the will of God because you are saying, you are now the Lord who rules over my life. You get to run every single day for the rest of my life until I die. 
Not too long ago, I read uh, for a second, third time, perhaps, the, a book called Tortured for Christ. The story of a Romanian pastor named Richard Wombrandt. And decades ago, when the communists took over the land of Romania, uh, one of the first things that happened was a great assembly where all the denominational leaders and all the religious authorities and, and the ministers, they, they all gathered into the, into the congressional hall in the capital of Romania, and they had come to install Joseph Stalin, the butcherous murderer, as the head of religion in Romania. One by one, the ministers and the denominational leaders stood up and praised Joseph Stalin. Communism and Christianity can coexist. Well, maybe their version of Christianity, but Bible Christianity and communism, they don't work well. And as they were praising Joseph Stalin and these butchering murderers from their hands, slipped the blood of righteous people. There were two people sitting in there, Sabina and her husband, Richard Wombrandt. And after a while, Sabina leaned over to her husband and said, Richard, you need to stand up and wash away the stain from the name of Christ. These ministers are spitting in his face. Richard Wimbrandt leaned over his wife and said, if I do this, you're going to lose your husband. She leaned over and she said, I do not wish to have a coward for a husband. Whoa, glad my wife's not here. <laughs> Richard Wombrand stood up and he began to exalt the Christ of the Bible. It was literally broadcast around the land of Romania. And he said, Christ and communism do not coexist. And by the time he was done, he knew exactly what would happen now. He would spend the next 12 years of his life in a brutal, brutal prison. At times, he was in solitary confinement, and he described it, it, what it was like. He said, they would mutilate my body. At times, they would lock me in a freezer. Then they would take me out and burn my flesh. He said, they beat my feet until the soles of the feet were worn off. And when he described it in his biography, he could only say there were no words to describe the pain, the price you pay. One day, Simon Peter's got a Savior who washed his sins away. The soul winner brought him to Christ. And one day, he's got a, a master in his life who actually heals his mother-in-law. What, what a powerful teacher. What a great master. But now by the shores of Galilee, with multitudes of people walking away, they don't get it. They never do. There was Peter, James, and John. Are you willing to install Jesus as the Lord of your life? Moses stands at the crossroads. Charlie stands at the crossroads. And Peter stands at the crossroads. And the Lord Jesus says, let me make this abundantly clear. Because if I will go from being just your master to your Lord and your ruler and your king, what that means is you live your life according to my words. What that means is you love me more than all the treasures of the world. What that means is that I am the everything and you are the nothing. And what that means is that from this moment on, I get to run every day of the rest of your life. Do you want Jesus to be your Lord? And so now in Lancaster, California, men and ladies in a chapel service like this, confronted with an incredibly powerful picture this morning of people of thousands of years gone by and people in our lifetime, who have a choice to make, what will you do with your life? Now you have your shot. Now you have your tomorrow sitting in front of you.
Make no mistake, the choices junior and senior you make in your last two high school years, they are going to impact every single day of the rest of your life. You make the choice, well, you can make a choice that counts for eternity. You make the wrong choice. You can cry yourself to sleep every night wishing you could do it again. Peter's got to make a choice right here by the Sea of Galilee. And it's the day Jesus goes from being his master to his Lord.